Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Syracuse football is going bowling for the first time since 2013. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to Fizz Radio here on The Score 1260. My name is David Edelstein. Today I'm joined along with Gil Gross. And we'll be taking you through the morning, 9 to 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings, Fizz Radio. We've got you talking about Syracuse football, talking about basketball, and all the Syracuse sports news that you could need. So, Gil, I don't, I don't think we've done Fizz Radio before together. We've gotten a chance to talk. This is our first time on a Saturday morning hanging out. First time. I think it. I, I think it's going to be good, right? We have some decently entertaining conversations when no one's listening, so this this shouldn't go too poorly. <laughs> decently, when no one's listening, no audiences. So that, that's pretty good. It's a good foundation to start off at. And Syracuse football, actually, perfect transition there. Started out with a pretty good foundation this year. Let's get into a little bit of this this bowl announcement. Earlier this week, it was announced that Syracuse would, in fact, be going to a bowl. And the question was, was it going to be the pinstripe bowl in New York? Was Syracuse going to go back to Yankee Stadium just a few weeks after it played Notre Dame there? Or is Syracuse going somewhere else? Turns out Syracuse is going to the Camping World Bowl against West Virginia down in Orlando at the end of December. I haven't gotten a chance to really speak with you too much about this off the radio. So put it in your words, what exactly does this specific bowl mean for Syracuse? It means the best case scenario for Syracuse. It means the the best bowl they could have asked for, and and one of the better bowls that exists outside of those New Year Six bowls. I mean, if you look at the teams that have been here in the past, and 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 you take a look at a list, you're going to see a lot of Florida State, uh, Miami, and in, in, at least in the ACC, you're going to see a lot of uh, Clemson. I mean, blue blood programs from the ACC, from the Big Twelve. That's who occupy the spots in this bowl. So to to have Syracuse um, kind of be the latest installment on that list, and and we'll see how the game goes because that's going to be important as well, David. Uh, you know, are they going to show they belong, or are they not going to be able to play well enough to do that? That's that matters as well. But for now, this is a fantastic. This was fantastic news for the program. Yeah, the Orange finally having what Dino Babers was saying the spring work paying off, saying that that hard work early in the season, before the season, is fun, he was calling it, because the Orange are putting in this effort and motivation for something that will come later down the road, and can they have that that ability to do that, that uh, dedication, and now it, now it pays off in December, when it's not the spring camp, it's not summer, it's not hot in the dome, but it's the end of the year. How much is this a sign that the program really embodied a lot of changes from from the beginning of this spring or maybe even earlier as a result of Dino Babers being here. I mean, in college football, that's the thing. Any success or failure you have, you can pin on the head coach. And that's not true in professional sports because you have a general manager that that puts out a roster. But in college sports, your head coach, that's the head of the program, and you can hold him accountable. So if Syracuse loses, guess whose fault that is? Dino Babers. If Syracuse wins, guess whose fault that is? Or guess whose credit that is? Dino Babers. So I think, you know, you can really shoulder most of the responsibility on the head coach position, and that's just a general note about the sport. But going back to what you said earlier about the the hard work, 
you can tell that this is a team that has put in the work and that does work hard, not not just in spring ball, but all season, because you have guys who made leaps. You have guys who maybe weren't dominant players last year that are playing like big time guys this year. And, you know, I know I'll leave guys out, uh, but, you know, you think of a guy like Christopher Frederick. Um, you think of Kendall Coleman. These are guys, and, and, and Coleman missed a lot of time with, with injury last year, but uh, the, the linebackers who didn't play last year, Armstrong and Kylan Whitner, you know, these guys have had really good seasons, and they weren't necessarily the, the same kind of player 12 months ago, and that says a lot. Now, this is a game Syracuse might be unfamiliar with recently against West Virginia. But it's a, it's a revival of an old rivalry. It's a team that Syracuse played back in the Big East. It's also a team that Dino Babers has had experience with. And he was openly saying that it wasn't great experiences on his side of the football. This is a, a game that's coming back. How much, you know, not to get, we're not getting into a pregame show here for this game. It's still a few weeks away. But how much can Syracuse go back and, and look to see what they did and how relevant, rather, is that past experience to this opportunity they have against this team now? Probably not at all. I mean, I, I don't know if if Babers has has coached um, against the the current scheme that that Westford that the Mountaineers put out on the field um, in terms of the old Big East rivalry. Uh, I mean, older older Syracuse fans care about that, and that that's always good. I mean, I still think I still feel like Georgetown's a rivalry, for example. West Virginia, not on that level, um, but you know there there is still uh, an an older fan base that that remembers these things, and I think that that trickles down to to even the younger fans. So I think that exists um, in terms of the product on the football field. I mean, it shouldn't really play a factor. Talking about scheme, even from a few years ago or now, I can imagine that any teams that are going into a bowl that have these few weeks off might be going back into practice in preparation, trying to come up with some new plans, some new tricks out of the playbook, just to have ready or even use. Nothing dramatic is probably going to change. It's obviously achieved them success in getting to a bowl. But these teams want to win. So I can imagine that West Virginia probably will change up their playbook a little bit, even from what tape would show from this year. What kind of changes would Syracuse have to be on the lookout for? What would a team be doing in this intervening time to try and win this bowl game with a surprise? I mean, uh, you, you'd have to think that that all of the all of the focus and the preparation is just about what kind of quarterback is Will Greer and how 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 do we set up defensively to to best contain him? So, you know, I don't I don't really worry about I think both teams have extra time to script those first 15 plays um, to to, you know, figure out, OK, this is our go to uh, at the goal line when we need one. OK, this is our this is our go to when we need a trick play on, you know, fourth and three. Both teams have the extra time to figure that out. But but for Syracuse, um, and I think they do this every week, but but for West Virginia, there's an obvious focus, and that's the quarterback position with Will Greer. One interesting thing that Dino Babers was talking about in this press conference right after, minutes after, he had found out and the rest of the public had found out that Syracuse was going to this camping bowl, camping world bowl against West Virginia in Orlando, was that 
recruiting is still going on. And recruiting is really big in keeping a program sustainable into the future. He was saying that some of the effects of the recruiting class that he just got this year to Syracuse will really take effect in two years from now. So, you know, one thing he was talking about was that these other teams that are and are not in bowls will be continuing recruiting. And that Syracuse being in a bowl, now they have to not only pay attention to their recruiting that they usually be doing around this time of year, but also on getting prepared for the bowl. And he was saying that other teams who are not in a bowl could be recruiting with all of their resources. They don't have to worry about a bowl. And he specifically said the line that stuck out to me was he didn't want these teams who are not in the playoffs, not in a bowl, to beat Syracuse in recruiting. I'm wondering what kind of strain does that put on a team because you're trying to make a statement with the bowl. And you're also trying to prepare for future bowls at the same time. I think he's just motivating, and I think that's what Babers does. So essentially, you know, you can flip it around and say, well, now we have a new recruiting tool. Now we don't have to say to our recruits, we haven't been in a bowl since 2013. And, you know, this is the this is a this is a chance for you to showcase your program to recruits. I think that's gonna be a big part of, of this bowl game. Will be uh, this this program and specifically Babers showcasing his personality to the to the country. I think a lot of people and we, we might get into that a little bit more later, but a lot of people are going to be exposed for the first time to Dino Babers's infectious and, and charismatic uh, personality. So I think that that's a plus. I mean, in terms of of recruiting. First of all, this has been such a good year so far. This has been such a good start uh, to, to Syracuse's um, year from a recruiting perspective. Uh, you got Lee uh, Pogba, the four-star linebacker. Uh, Nazir, well, he's a little bit in limbo. I'm just trying to kind of, um, I'm, I don't have a list in front of me, but there are this week and last week, was huge for Syracuse football recruiting. I mean, they're hot on the recruiting trail. So I almost feel like Babers is just motivating, motivating his guys, saying don't get complacent, and that's all. Just keeping the momentum going. You mentioned you know, making that statement, and Babers as a coach this year, he wound up getting the Co-ACC Coach of the Year Award along with Dabo Sweeney from Clemson. But some people are thinking that, that, that getting the Co-Award is not even enough. Yeah, I mean, he, he was he was snubbed um, the, the the week before on um, you know on on another award. Um, uh, essentially, Dabo Sweeney. I mean, the guy did what he was supposed to. He did his job. It, you looked at Clemson's schedule at the beginning of the year, and you know this was a this was an easier schedule, um, a much easier schedule than than Clemson had. Let's say last year, and that was just a product of a lot of ACC teams being down. I mean, Syracuse was possibly his best win, or, or uh, up there among his best wins. So Sweeney did what he had to. You know, this was likely to be a, an undefeated Clemson team if you looked at their schedule before the year, especially looking back at at how strong the teams he played actually were. Now you look on the other side, a guy in Dino Babers, this team was picked to be last in the ACC in that Coastal Division, and they finished second. I mean, Babers, the, the over-under for, for wins for this team opened at four and a half wins, and he came away with nine. So Coach of the Year, to me, that's an award that you give to a coach that surpassed expectations by the greatest distance. 
That's what the award is to me. And that was clearly Dino Babers. So, you know, it's good that, that Sweeney didn't win another and it, Babers got to share this one. But really, it should have been Babers all alone by himself. And the quick thought here on whether Dino Babers being this good could potentially make him want to seek other options come after this bowl game as far as coaching goes. You know, there's still it's still football season now, so you haven't seen any changes yet, whereas if the season was over, you might have heard some more. It's hard to decipher from his comments. What have you been thinking about that? You know, I don't actually think that Babers will, will get offers from the kind of blue blood programs that it would take for him to leave Syracuse. Um, and the reason is that is I think that I see Dino as a program builder. Uh, I don't see him as a, a brilliant, you know, game coach. I mean, he hasn't proven really yet, and, and he has time. You know, it's still early in his career where, where he can prove this later on, but he hasn't proven that, that he can come in with, to a program with high expectations that they are going to win um, and, and that he's going to deliver and basically coach— you know, the best teams in the country to successful seasons. Right now, what he's done very nicely is build up programs that have been in kind of compromised positions. He's he's taken down programs and he's made them up programs. If, if you know, if you're a program, um, you know, if, if you're a high level blue blood program, I don't know if Babers is really your guy to say, okay, we have the we have the clout on the recruiting trail. We have our program built up. You just need to come in here and win football games. I think Babers is staying. So it's more about the time spent and the consistency of winning rather than just the ability to turn the key in the other direction. Yeah, but but it's there are coaches that are great football coaches. You know, when the from the opening whistle to the final whistle. These guys know how to manage a clock and get the most out of their talent. I think Babers is a great program builder. I'm not sure he's an he's a fantastic elite football coach, if you know what I mean. Yes, and some of the things he's been able to do is find the right personnel to get the job done. Andre Schmidt, the kicker for Syracuse, who walked on the, to the team actually as a freshman, took a redshirt year, and now all of a sudden is leading in most kicking categories. Almost all of them wins the the Lou Groza Award for the nation's top place kicker. First Syracuse player to do that, the third freshman ever. Really quickly, what are your thoughts on this guy who's just seemed to show up out of nowhere, originally in a three-part competition for the team, and then he just blows it out of the water? This was awesome. No, no one saw it coming, and Andre Schmidt probably uh, grabbed Syracuse a, a few extra wins. So what a pleasant surprise he's been. He's a freshman. Uh, so, you know, Syracuse, I don't know, uh, kickers normally don't leave early, so could have three more years of elite Kicking for the Orange. It's very exciting. All right, Gil Gross. I'm David Edelstein here on Orange Fizz Radio on the score 1260. We'll just have to wait a few more weeks to see exactly how the Syracuse Bowl game does turn out. We've got some basketball talk coming up for you right after this. How's Syracuse been doing and how good is this team really? Kind of a rocky season so far. Coming up for you right after this on the score 1260. Back here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. I'm David Edelstein alongside Gil Gross. We've got Syracuse football news, got Syracuse basketball news, Orange Fizz all the way. If you want more news too, besides what we're just talking about here, follow us at orangefizz.net, also theorangefizz.com. Follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz and Facebook on Orange Fizz. We've also got shorter versions of the Fizz Radio in podcast form going on on orangefizz.net. So check that out. Everything you need to know 
and let us know what you're thinking as well as things come out in the Syracuse sports world. So, Gil, the Syracuse basketball team has had somewhat of a rocky start to the season. You think they start out ranked. We've seen this before. They fall out of the rankings. Then all of a sudden they beat a team that's ranked number 19 in Ohio State and ranked number one, actually, in some of these new ranking systems. So maybe Syracuse is the number one basketball team <laughs> in the country. But when we're talking about practicality, paper is different than real life. How good is this team for real? So it, it has been a roller coaster, David. I think that's a pretty good way to put it because when the year started, I was really high on this team. Uh, MSG was such a slap in the face, uh, a 76-83 loss to Connecticut, a 80-65 loss to Oregon. So, you know, UConn, not even really that good a team. Oregon, another blowout. I mean, the Orange just looked terrible. And, and then since then, uh, they have rattled off four straight victories. And I find myself kind of in the middle because at first I was defiant. I said, you know what? I can't unsee what I saw at MSG. That was kind of my mindset. A little, little scarring for you? A, a lot of scarring, really. Uh, but, but you know, I don't think it wasn't an emotional thing. It was just, okay, this team has major issues. And we're going to get into some of these issues. Uh, now, slowly, I'm starting to imagine this team with a more healthy Frank Howard. A Frank Howard that that does the things that that we know he can do uh, with his legs, and that is penetrating and kicking. And I was very encouraged by um, speaking to Frank Howard actually after um, the the latest game against Northeastern in the locker room, when he kind of admitted it was actually after the Cornell game um, that that I, I spoke with Frank, and he was like, "Look, I understand that this team has so many weapons now." Elijah Hughes, an added weapon, uh, O'Shea and, and Tyus, of course, um, back, adding Buddy Beheim, adding Jalen Carey. I need to be more of a distributor. I need to be more of a point guard. Um, and, and he took responsibility, even for the big men, not scoring enough. I need to get them the ball in positions where they can score. So after MSG, this was my concern. My concern was that this was a bunch of guys with talent, but they need the ball, um, and they need to be scorers, and there's no distributor on this team. And as a result, they're not going to be able to run an offense. But if Frank Howard can can pull this entire team together and can be the glue that this offense needs to run properly, which maybe he can be, now it's a whole new discussion. That being said, there are problems. So is Syracuse actually a top 25 team right now? And if not... What do they need to do to get to that point that you're talking about? Yeah, you're right. I didn't really answer your question, did I? Um, fringe top 25. That's kind of what I'm feeling like right now. And, you know, if not fringe top 25, uh, you know, maybe Syracuse is the 15th best team in the country. But And, and I'm, I'm projecting because right now they're not. You know, right now Syracuse is probably between the 30th and the 60th best team in the country. What I'm doing right now is projecting what they will probably grow into. Frank Howard isn't healthy. Uh, Elijah Hughes is 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 new. Um, Buddy Beheim, you know, might settle in a little bit more. O'Shea hasn't really had his most consistent stuff. He's starting to to get a rhythm. Tyus hasn't had his most consistent stuff. He's getting in a rhythm. So I'm projecting right now. I think that Syracuse will get to a point. Where, where they're somewhere between the 25th and the 15th best team in the country. But that's a step back 
from where I was in the beginning of the season where I thought that Syracuse was a legitimate Final Four contender. So the MSG games have kind of exposed this underlying level of beneath the hype that was there yeah. when everyone was like, Tyus Battle's coming back. All five starters are back. These new guys are back. They're going to be great. And yeah, they are, but there's still this new storming process of the team needing to figure itself out, figure each other out, and it will take time to yeah. figure out where they'll be. But down the line, you're saying they will be this top 25 team. And even even though uh, you know within this conversation, you wind up mentioning certain players, what their skills are and everything like that, That's I wouldn't even call that off topic because you bring up such a good point about Frank Howard, the fact that he's back now. And the team's been winning when he's back, but he hasn't necessarily been performing with his best stuff. He has no explosiveness. So so what he's been is really just a pure distributor of the basketball. I mean, he's really just running offense and, and being a floor general out there, but he's not really doing what he can do. And, you know, he, he's not hitting threes. Uh, he's not getting into the lane. And that's enough to beat Cornell and Northeastern um, and Colgate. Ohio State, he had, uh, interestingly enough, uh, a better game. Um, but come ACC play, Syracuse is going to need a lot more out of Frank Howard. Again, though, you know, this team without Frank Howard, they had no flow to their offense. They did not move the ball. It was nothing but isolation. Tyus Battle seemed just so uncomfortable uh, without Frank on the floor with him. I mean, his numbers have dr drastically imp improved with Frank Howard. Um, so what we've seen is that this team really just needs Frank to be out there, even if he's not contributing in in ways that he can. They and still need him out there. Needs to be some kind of consistency and flow between the team. Like you're saying, one of the things that hasn't really meshed so much has, has been who are these big guys for Syracuse? You know, you put in Haskell Chukwu for 30 seconds and then take him out. So he gets the start, but he's not really there for a lot of time. <laughs> Dolajai is in there. What what's going on with this right. seeming rotation of big men for Syracuse? Because that uh, seems to be something that they need to figure out to really solidify. That was one of the issues that that I mentioned. I mean, this is something that that happened at MSG that I can't unsee. I mean, UConn, not a big team, killed Syracuse on the interior. Bull Bull, Oregon's elite big man, seven foot six, a little bit more understandable, skilled guy, destroyed. Syracuse. These are the kind of guys you're going to be playing more so, you know, when you play the top teams in the ACC and when you get to the tournament, if, if I'm going to say Syracuse is still a Final Four team, how? How when they get absolutely destroyed on the interior game by game against teams that, that shouldn't be doing that? And Jim Beheim ha has said it almost after every game. Barama wasn't good. Chuku wasn't good. Barama wasn't good. Chuku wasn't good. So that's why we've seen this carousel because Beheim has been, you know, just trying to hold these guys accountable. The problem is neither of them have played well. So that is an area where I feel like there needs to be some tweaking, and, and that's a big problem. So is this the testing phase right now? Is this non-conference game schedule early in the season kind of the testing phase to figure out who's going to be the guy? It needs to be the testing phase. And, and Beheim, uh, I wish that he would embrace that a little bit more. For example, last year, this team's MO was that, that Syracuse was an extremely stout, defensive, hardworking team. And that has seemingly changed this year. They're not that hardworking team anymore. They, they're not elite defensively. 
Well, what changed? Really, the only thing that changed is that Elijah Hughes was inserted into the lineup and uh, Marek Dolajai is out of the lineup. That's what changed. Well, what does that tell you about Marek Dolajai? It tells you that this guy, even if he doesn't fill it up on the stat sheet, this is a dude who who works so hard on the floor and and can 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 set such a tone. He's an energy guy. He's an uh, I say an enforcer. You know, not in the hockey sense where he's going to fight someone, but in the sense where he's going to set uh, this this hardworking physical tone for the team. I understand that he's a little bit undersized, that he's a little bit lightweight, but try him at the five. For extended minutes, see what he can do in there. Will could, might rebound be a problem? Yeah, maybe. But offensively, you get a way more skilled guy. You get a guy who can actually roll to the basket, catch a pass, and finish. And then defensively, you have an undersized guy, but at least you have an undersized guy who's going to fight. So at the moment, who does Syracuse go with? Because they still need to win these games. You know, one of the big conversations around the Ohio State game. When, not, when Syracuse was not ranked, there, Ohio State was number 19, was no Syracuse team, and if not no Syracuse team, just one, has made the NCAA tournament when they've lost three non-conference games. And they're already having two in the loss column. So while you're trying to figure this out, you still have the imperative of winning these games. Mm-hmm. So who do they go with? Who do they start to go with to make sure that there's some kind of consistency and understanding of how this offense and defense is going to work on the court. You have tough games and then you have some 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 not as tough games. So so the Georgetown game and and the Buffalo games uh stick out as as the these tougher non-conference games. Um you know, you can experiment against against some of the weaker teams in this non-conference schedule. There's there's still a few left. Uh but but for the most part I I think you need to bite the bullet because I'll tell you one thing that's not working. The status quo. That's not working. You know, Barama Sidibe is not he still doesn't look healthy enough to be a, a mobile big man. You know, he still can't really jump, can't really cut, can't really move well out there. And in the case of Pascal Chuku, I don't really know what's going on with him um, because there were there were parts of last year where, where he looked quite serviceable for his role. I don't know what's going on with him, um, but... The point is, how much longer can you keep trotting out Sidibe and Chuku without making a change? David, I mean, th- th- this was written about um, earlier today by the school newspaper in, in a column. Would it really be that bad if O'Shea Percet played the five? Now, I- I'm not all in on that, but I'd be willing to see it. I don't think, you know, who takes, who takes the opening tip off? It's not even Pascal Chukwu at seven foot two. He doesn't take the opening tip. O'Shea Brissett takes the opening tip because he jumps that much higher. His vertical is that much better. So, Jim Beheim needs to try some things. You wrote an article recently, Gil, talking about Tyus Battle, who's this prized guy who's come back, and you actually noticed something that's very keen of you. Is Tyus Battle's jump shot changing this year, and what might have caused that? Give a little background on on exactly what, what did you notice and what made you write it? What made me write it is that we haven't been able to get the answers we're looking for on this topic. When it comes to Tyus Battle's jump shot, uh, things have, you know, there have been some inconsistencies. So uh, the, the you have to go back to this summer in Los Angeles when Tyus Battle um, worked with a, a very coveted NBA trainer, Drew Hanlon. 
and supposedly he was going to fix a hitch in his jump shot. That was what was reported. Um, and then Tyus Battle comes out this season. He struggles from beyond the arc, and Jim Beheim says, God, I hope nobody changes his jump shot again. So that kind of implied, well, and, and by the way, David, Tyus wasn't even attempting the number of three-pointers that he would normally uh, attempt. That told us, well, something's wrong here. His jump shot's changed. Beheim isn't happy. Are they going to try to change it back? All of a sudden, the threes start falling, and you ask Tyus Battle, well, did you make a change? He says, no, not really. You ask him, well, did you change it back then? Or did you make any changes this summer? And he says, well, no, not really. So what was done this summer, it's a little bit confusing. There's there's some contradictions. But the point is, is it's been mysterious. It's been convoluted. We got to see what happens with Battle's Jumper because it's been kind of a saga so far. How much might it have had to do with the fact that he was going through the NBA training, trying to see if he was going to make his way into the NBA and, and go forward rather than coming back to Syracuse, which he ultimately wound up doing. That was the whole idea, you know, training training with Coach Hanlon. It was it was supposed to be kind of that next-level guy that could take his game to the next level. And I, a lot of people were concerned about Tyus Battle um, having NBA three-point range. That was one of the concerns. And the other concern was kind of the, the quirky shooting motion that Tyus Battle possesses. And to me, to my eye, it looks a little bit smoother this year. Here's what's important, David. Tyus Battle is saying, my jump shot is better this year, and I am going to prove it to you guys. You guys are going to start to see better jump shooting out of me. Um, so in the last game, it faltered. Northeastern, it faltered. He only made one field goal. Uh, but but we'll have to see um, what happens with Battle's jump shot because it needs to be better and more consistent than it's been so far. Uh, is this just a slump, or did Battle kind of mess up his jump shot this summer? A season in progress in many regards. It takes that time, and sometimes it's don't break or don't fix, rather, what's not broken. Coming up after a quick break, Gil and I have a little bit more about Syracuse basketball's game coming up and how these players might actually factor into that. It's an old rivalry returning back to the Carrier Dome once again here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. It's Fizz Radio here on The Score 1260. I'm David Edelstein alongside Gil Gross. We've got you from 9 to 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Give Orange Fizz a follow. Check out some content at orangefizz.net, also theorangefizz.com, shiny new name, as well as on Twitter at Orange Fizz and Facebook at Orange Fizz. We've got some podcasts, shorter versions of Fizz Radio on our website as well. So, Gil, Syracuse is going to be playing a familiar name. It's been familiar for a pretty long time. Syracuse basketball taking on Georgetown. The rivalry is back in the Carrier Dome. Now, we were talking a little bit earlier in the first segment about football and how Syracuse football will be playing West Virginia, also a former Big East rival. But the rivalry is not really there. It's not, it's not the same. It's almost, in a way, a somewhat forgotten team as compared to Georgetown. What has kept this rivalry so alive? I think the number one thing, if we're being 100% honest, is Georgetown has kept the rivalry alive. And and I don't know if that's going to be really a popular uh, opinion or not, but if, if you go to D.C., 
you know, they care a lot about Syracuse, and we don't really care as much about them. I, I would compare it to the Syracuse-Duke rivalry, where when Duke comes to, to campus, or even when we go there, you know, the, the entire campus, the entire community, beat Duke, beat Duke, it's Duke week. I mean, there's nothing bigger than when Duke comes to the Carrier Dome in central New York. But Duke, well, they don't really care much about Syracuse, so it's kind of a one-way street. And I think it's the same sort of thing for this Syracuse-Georgetown rivalry, where, uh, you know, they—I I remember last year, they crossed out all of the S's on the Georgetown campus. I mean, this is this is big for them. I think they even banned oranges from all the dining halls, too, I heard. Yeah, right. Like, that's the extent that they went to. Yeah, they they really don't like Syracuse. And look, by by no means does Syracuse like Georgetown— it's just a little bit toned down now that they now that the Hoyas aren't in um, Syracuse's conference, and even Beheim said that after the game. So who's going to be the guy to watch on Georgetown? Different teams each year, players move around. Syracuse has its own story, but for Georgetown, who's going to be the guy that Syracuse needs to guard? It's Jesse Govan. It's their center. He's just a a, a really skilled player, an NBA prospect. Uh, averaging 19, uh, really averaging 19.9. So he's really averaging 20 points per game, 7.3 rebounds. He's shooting well over 50%, uh, playing 32 minutes a game. So we could expect to see him play, I don't know, maybe 36 minutes in this in this Syracuse game. So he's going to be on the floor. And what concerns you for Syracuse is that that was a weak spot. I mean, the last time they played a, a really, really elite center was Bull Bull. If you look at some of Syracuse's better wins in Ohio State, that's an undersized team. They don't really have a great big man. So Georgetown kind of fits the bill early on as, you know, a team that possesses the correct star positionally to beat Syracuse. And and just to kind of pour a little bit more on uh, to Govan uh, in the last game, Against Richmond, he scored 29 points, had nine rebounds, two steals, and an assist. The guy fills it up. One thing Govan doesn't do, though, is shoot the three-pointer too often. If you just see his percentage, he's been pretty good. 10 for 21 on the season, but he's not their star for uh, shooter from beyond the arc. But the Georgetown team in general has been pretty good at that so far this season. Meanwhile, Syracuse's defense, the zone, has been criticized a little bit here early in 2018 so what exactly is it that Syracuse is going to have to do to make sure that while playing the zone to keep the Georgetown guys away, that they're not also setting them up in the position that the Hoyas want to be in in taking those longer three-point shots? What concerns me really is, is once again, you, you got to bring it back to Gavan. He's such a talented playmaker that he doesn't really need to shoot the three to hurt this zone. But what he, what he can do is he can get in that soft spot right by the ACC logo and that's where a, a very talented big man hurts Syracuse time and time again. It's where kind of Bull Bull um, could, could do some damage against Syracuse. So, again, I mean, Georgetown, they have, they have a really balanced team. You know, they have a guy, uh, McClung is a newcomer. He can shoot the three ball. Uh, Pickett, the point guard, he can shoot the three ball. But... In general, it's still Gavan, Gavan that concerns me and, and nothing really else. If Syracuse shuts down Gavan, do they have an ultimate advantage? Is that all they really need to focus on in order to be comfortable in this game? I mean, I, I don't know if—and I don't. And look, I'm, I'm less of an, a Georgetown expert than I am a Syracuse expert, but I don't think that they're 
really a one-man show, so to speak. But Syracuse, this is a high-powered offense that that Georgetown hasn't seen all year. You got to think that if Syracuse plays their game, they're going to score points. So, I mean, if you shut down the other team's best player and you're not playing an elite defense, you have a pretty good chance at winning. So you're the Syracuse guru. What will Syracuse have to do in order to win this one? Uh, you know, I I haven't given that much thought. So so I guess there's a lot of individuals that that need to play better. Um, it really comes down to three guys playing well, and it's not three names. It's three of four guys. If one of Frank, Tyus, Elijah Hughes, and O'Shea Brissett play well, if you get three of four, then you're in really good shape. If you get two of four, you're in decent shape. This is a rivalry game. It's been two years ago, Georgetown won. Last year, Syracuse won in overtime. So these games are, are rarely blowouts. I think that has a lot to do with how much these games mean to Georgetown. This is a 7-1 and one team. This is a good team. So I really think that more guys need to show up than Syracuse has, has been getting, uh, where normally it's been two guys. Maybe for this game, it's going to need to be three, maybe four. And so with all that in mind, the real question here, what winds up happening later today? I think Syracuse wins... They're a better basketball team. They are. And I think the dome is the difference. I'm I'm rarely rarely should you pick against Syracuse when they're gonna have a, a pretty engaged dome crowd and they're the more talented team. So Syracuse basketball, the game's three thirty PM later today. Right now we've got you just until ten AM. We've got some interesting things going on with the Bayheims. A lot of Bayheim, 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 the three musketeers. Well, Fill you in on that in just a second here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. A few more minutes left here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Alongside Gil Gross, I'm David Edelstein. Follow us on orangefizz.net. All the Syracuse basketball and recruiting news you could want. And also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Orange Fizz. So Gil, something funny earlier this week. Cornell comes to play Syracuse, and on any other occasion, this might be just another game, non-conference game. Syracuse has won them many years in a row, but this one's a little different. You got Jim Beheim, the head coach of the Syracuse men's basketball team. You've got Jimmy Beheim, who is now a sophomore at Cornell. He's playing basketball. And then you have Buddy Beheim, who's playing on Syracuse basketball as a freshman. You got the three musketeers on the court. What what is that like? Uh, I I got to cover that game, and uh, I think the the weirdest thing about it was probably Jimmy Beheim after the game. Now Cornell kept it close, and they were they were twenty point underdogs, and they kept it close, so they did have reason to be happy. But Jimmy Beheim, after losing, was was in such a great mood. He was so ecstatic about what he just got to be a part of. And then, of course, J- Julie stole the show. She was sitting courtside. She was wearing a, a white shirt with with an S on her left shoulder, a C on her a red C on her right shoulder. And you know, you saw her on the sidelines, you know, filming and clapping and cheering for for both of her sons. It's kind of so, hard to choose. It was. Well, she doesn't really have to. Don't you know? make anyone upset. Yeah, you, you root for both to score every time. You, you, you root for 200 to 200, and 
both Beheims scored all 200. Yeah, this this is the uh, game where you just don't pick sides. You kind of just say, yeah, yeah, whatever happens. The one game where it's, uh, you know, just want to keep the family happy. The, 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 the two players, Buddy and Jimmy, they kind of looked like they just walked away from each other and went back to their benches when the game ended. Did they talk at all? Uh, they actually did. T- they took a family picture. Um, so Julie rounded them all up and Jimmy tried to get away but Julie got him he grabbed him I think Buddy was more was more into the whole thing um and and you know J- Jim as well they took a big family picture on the court a family photo featuring head coach Jim Beheim's new glasses that he's wearing the sports glasses with a little bit of a color tint as well as his suit jacket which I just found out has different pictures of the carrier dome sewn on the inside so very fashionable and very fitting for the location. Well, that's all the time we have for you on Fizz Radio this morning. Thank you so much for spending an hour of your Saturday with us. We have you from 9 to 10 in the morning every Saturday for Fizz Radio here on The Score 1260. And to keep up to date with all of your Syracuse basketball and football news, keep reading at orangefizz.net. And also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at Orange Fizz. And check out some shorter versions of Fizz Radio on the Orange Fizz podcast, also on orangefizz.net. This is Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. For Gil Gross, I'm David Edelstein. As always, stay safe, stay warm, stay friendly, and enjoy. And we'll speak with you next time.